Um, I will say that for it. Uh, dating is, is something serious. I, I, yeah, people always joke and say they feel bad for the people that are out here trying to, to date, and yeah, it, it's rough. I think that there's a stigma on divorce. Comey Media Group proudly presents Revelations with Cole Johnson. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. Petty Maximus, Comey don't play that. Petty Ruxpin, or just three of the many Twitter handles that my next guest has been under. She is the co-host of the podcast Chopping It Up With Q and is what you can call the ultimate podcast cheerleader. Ladies and gentlemen, your favorite critical dump intern and mine, Vermeek Burton, a.k.a. VJ. VJ is her name, and this is her revelation. Wow, that was um, quite an introduction. I don't think I've ever had one um, that good. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, I know. I mean, I'm impressed. Like, geez. Makes me sound <laughs> way more awesome than I actually am. That, that is dope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, well, I'm glad I've impressed on <laughs> on the first try. Good. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> All right. So tell us about yourself. I know of the area in which you are from and where you live now, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are from a big metropolis called Lufkin, Texas, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, actually, um, not originally, but I've lived here a fair portion of my life. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I live in Lufkin now, and people always assume that I went to high school here. Like, oh, you graduated from Lufkin. I actually graduated from a smaller school right up the road from little bitty Dieball, Texas. Um, <laughs> it's not that far. Yeah, Dieball. And then people are like, where's Dieball? What's that? Where is it? It is a speck of nothing with three stoplights in a row, essentially a speed trap. <laughs> but um, for other reference, uh, I think if we're talking about production of of, of fine alumni, um, I think most people remember Jermichael Finley. He used to play for the Green Bay Packers, and we actually went to high school together. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, so, so you know Jermichael? Okay, that's really good to know. All right, it's right, so. a good thing to know, but we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, uh, well, so you were born in Lufkin, or were you born somewhere else? I was born in Chicago, actually, Great Lakes Naval Hospital um, in Great Lakes, Illinois, so right outside of Chicago. But, um, my, both my parents were in the Army, um, <laughs> so I was born there and raised a little bit of everywhere. Uh, but my mom is from uh, Hempel, Texas. Hempel is a smaller speck than Dieball is, and so she wanted to move somewhere that was slightly bigger after kind of living in all these metropolitan areas and, you know, kind of traveling the world. She wanted somewhere slightly bigger, but not quite as big as like a Houston or Dallas. So we settled in Lufkin, and <laughs> that is where we have been ever since. <laughs> now, you said that your mother was in the military. Which branch? Uh, both my parents were Army. Both of them were Army. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. 
And what lessons from the military did they pass along to you, if any? Um, well, I think with my parents, it's always just kind of been, uh, because I'm an only child, I think a lot of it was somewhat military, but somewhat just kind of wanting to teach me, you know, independence and autonomy. Um, but I think the biggest lesson I've learned from them, I guess, from the military is that they are sticklers about seeing things through, right? You know, being, um, holding yourself accountable for things, being on time, um, making sure that you're doing a good job, give, putting forth your best effort in whatever situation that you're in, um, and just kind of being able to make it your own. Um, and then just kind of trying to remain cool under pressure <laughs> and make good decisions. I think that those are the biggest takeaways with them. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, then that definitely answers a whole ton of questions in my head about you and being an athlete. Totally get that now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, totally get that. I think people so, are always surprised that I played sports when I tell them that. I think it just kind of, they, they just assumed that I was just kind of like rah-rah cheerleader and I didn't do anything else. And I have to tell them, like, no, I <laughs> did other things. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of rah-rah and other things, <laughs> the well, I didn't get that, that opinion simply because the very first time I heard you, uh, it was on a D Murph show, why not sports? And you were with Q, Q the great. And I was listening to these guys talking about sports and you were there with them. And it just seemed as if it was a natural fit and flow for you. I'm thinking, okay, who is this woman? Here she is. And uh, here she is on a sports show and she can handle her own. And I don't mean that D Murph and big Roy Taylor made certain sports or sports stories for you. I mean, they dove into sports and you were able to hang with them. So I'm thinking, okay, I smell athlete here. That has to be. I mean, yeah, she could be an enthusiast. I could see that, but I smell athlete because she seems to know her, her way through the sporting industry, all that all too well for her to be just a fan. I was going to say, well, yeah, I think that that's a lot of it, too. I think that you can have an appreciation for sports, but I think that to kind of be able to enjoy the kind of, I guess, podcasting that Demers and, and Roy do, because <laughs> I'm like a super fan of their of their show. But yeah, to be and your show as well. But I mean, to be able to, to kind of follow that and understand it, you kind of have to have more than, I guess, like a, a, a fan's knowledge of, of sports. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thoroughly appreciative, thoroughly appreciative. And and when I hear you throw certain things out, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah she's more than a fan because she knows her stuff. <laughs> now, considering that I grew up in the same state in which you did, I have a very strong understanding that football is a big part of your life like it is mine. So when did your love of football uh, become so prominent within you? I mean, I think my earliest memories were going to Bears games with my dad. Like, we, I mean, that's where we were. And so as much as he's a Cowboys fan and my mom as well, that, you know, those were the best memories that I, that I think I saw. Those are my most favorite memories of spending time with him, just being freezing cold, right, at Social Field mm-hmm. and, and watching the Bears play. Um, and I think that's what kind of instilled my love of football. Now, I always tell people that when we moved to Texas, that just kind of amplified, right? Because people that don't live here think that their sport is big on football. But until you've lived here, it's a completely different animal, right? Like, it's like football here is, is king, like, especially in small towns. Like, that is it. People, you know, watch things like Friday Night Lights and they, you know, think of it as just, you know, a varsity blues. And they think that, it, you know, that that's fictional, 
And that's, mm-hmm. and it's not fiction at all. Like, if you live here, that's what it is in these small towns. You know, Friday nights, everything closes down. Everyone's mm-hmm. at the football state. And I just joke, like, it's, you know, it's a horrible joke. But I was like, if anybody was, you know, going to, like, rob the town blind or, like, <laughs> decide to, you know, <laughs> kill everyone, like, we'd all be in one place. Like, it would be very, very easy <laughs> mm-hmm. to take oh, yeah. everyone hostage. Yeah, it's just uh, everything shuts down. And, it, and, and I tell people, it's, it's kind of magical in a way. It, it brings these small communities together, winter I mean, and, and it's just amazing to, to see and be a part of. So that explains it for me, because I wanted to ask you, here's this Texas girl. I mean, in the throes of East Texas, but the teams that you support are the Bears and the Bulls. And I was thinking, what is the connect? There has to be something personal that you mentioned it. So it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Well, well, okay. Well, explain to me, how was it, if you can remember, going to Bears games in Soldier Field? I think at that point, it was more just, and I always tell people this, and I think with me, um, and my dad always has always told me this, and it was like, I, it's never really about the activity. It's more so about the quality of the company, right? And so I think for me, it, it, it just, it felt like a good time because I was there with, you know, my favorite person. Like I was there with my dad and there are all these people and they're cheering and screaming and everyone is out there and it is freezing cold and, you know, it's below, you know, negative degree wind chill and, it, <laughs> and snow. We're out there in these snowsuits and, you know, screaming, but you're, you know, you're coarse and you can't barely hear yourself over like the swirling like of, of snow. But it's just this, this, this love of football that he has and this like electricity that you feel being with that many other people that mm. love something as much as you do. <laughs> All right. So we talked about your love of football and I'm assuming that you didn't play football. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I say assume because you never know these days. I mean, we do have women kickers on high school teams. So um, I played as a kid. I'm not going to say that I ever like played um, organized sports. I played flag football uh, when I was very, very small. Um, so I get here, my mom was like, absolutely not. Um, and I was, <laughs> she, she was like, absolutely not. It, it was it was fun. And I mean, I, I enjoyed playing um, a lot. And I, you know, flag football is, is dope. And I think it's one of those things where it was it was a good introduction <laughs> For me to, to playing, you know, my parents have always been very supportive of anything that I've ever wanted to do. So, you know, when I was like, hey, I want to play football, my dad was like, mm, all right. <laughs> so we signed, so he signed me up without telling my mom, right? And at that point, after money's paid and all the other stuff, she was like, well, she could play this year, but no more. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Done like a typical father and spoken like a typical mother. Totally get that. Totally get that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what sports did you play growing up? Um, well, uh, I played volleyball, um, basketball, um, I golf as well, um, which the golf is relatively new. I didn't play that growing up. Um, I did play tennis. Um, I ran track, uh, and then cheerleading. (laughs) Cheerleading. Now I get that from your personality. It's very bubbly, very effervescent. So I get, I, I get, I get it from the personality standpoint. People seem to undersell the fact that you have to be somewhat athletic to actually be a cheerleader too. So what goes into the athletic side preparing to be one? Well, I think a lot of it is that people have a very antiquated view of cheerleading. And that's another thing that I kind of advocate for because I um, I teach lessons at a gym here. Um, I do like tumbling, private, uh, like tum- flipping, I guess, lessons, tumbling classes. Um, and I do coach like a level two cheer team, which is they're 
pretty young, which means they don't really do a lot of tumbling. They're, they're kind of in the beginning phases. Um, but I think for most people, when they think cheerleader, they think standing on the sidelines with like a megaphone and signs and waving pom-poms, right? They don't think of it as competitive cheerleading as the sport that it's kind of known as right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a lot of what it is. Um, now, as far as the differences, like with school cheerleading, of course, a lot of times people don't view that as a sport because it, it's not something that brings any revenue for the school. It's not normally something that the school pays for your uniforms or anything like that. You, you pay a lot about, you pay most of your expenses out of pocket and traveling and uniforms and stuff are, are expensive. And I think people don't realize that. Um, but in that atmosphere, it is very much about cheering for the other sports teams at your school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I think it's very different because you that that is what they think of, and that's essentially what you are. You're on the sideline, and you're you're cheering for the other sports. So a lot of your practices and things are geared towards things you can do on the sidelines, and things you can do with signs, and things you can do as far as you know waving pom poms or getting the crowd involved, so that you're cheering your team to victory. So I think from that standpoint, it doesn't really look like a sport. It has to be coordinated to kind of learn you know arm movements and remember chants, I guess. But. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I've met, I've met some slightly uncoordinated troops before. So. <laughs> I, 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 I bet you did more than just meet them. <laughs> <laughs> My face met a few. Um, <laughs> knees oh, have man. met a few. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's very different. But I always tell people that aside from cheering at my school, I also cheered on a, a competitive squad that essentially was like, I guess you would um, equate it to like a, a club team or like an AAU basketball team. Or something to that nature, I guess, is like other sports. Like it's like the AAU of like cheerleading. You you know pay that you go. You are sponsored through a, a gym that you go to. They have tryouts too, but those tryouts are very different. It's not hey, do me a cheer and a dance. It's like okay, you're gonna come in here. I need you to be able to basically. I need to see combinations of jumps. I need you to be able to flip. Which what's the best you know combination of flips you can do? I need to see that. Like, it's really about your athleticism, and, and there's not really any, like, cheering as far as, like, the traditional sense involved. Yeah, I, I basically call it, uh, <laughs> I basically call it just an open field gymnastics. I mean, it's just ridiculous that the stuff that cheerleaders do as, <laughs> as to get a crowd involved and interested. Yeah, because it's a whole lot more than just, like you said, outward chance. It's, it's more than that for sure. Yeah. It is. I mean, I think like we used to run and lift weights because you, you have to have endurance. And I think people just assume that you just kind of show up and wait and, you know, show up and wave pom poms. And no, we, we worked out and ran like actual athletes. We lifted weights because you, I mean, you, you're lifting people over your head. Like I wasn't particularly mm-hmm. big, but I wasn't like, you know, 90 pounds either. So I'm lifting a whole other person up in the air. I had braces for a year longer than I should have because I got hit in the mouth so many times from stunt falling and having to catch her. Which I yeah, my mouth was in constant disarray and I had braces for like a whole extra year because of it. Um, and I think what people also don't realize is that cheerleading injuries are are, are quickly becoming like the the serious. Like it's becoming one of the the fastest growing like groups. Like as far as you know, kids getting injured playing sports, cheerleading is by far has the most injuries because you're in the air and people drop you or they kick you or you're flipping and sometimes you land funny and bones come out of your leg or your hip pops out of place. Mm. <laughs> Or you fall on your head. <laughs> I think people are under the impression that it, it, it doesn't rotate. It doesn't take any, you know, any type of real skill. And, and it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of skill. And you just mentioned it because I, w- I would wonder, like, how are how are these girls holding up other girls and then not crumbling and falling flat on the floor or the ground? I'm like, how? Oh. It's like, OK, yeah, they 
Yeah, they they and we yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a they they trained almost as hard as the as the other athletes too. Wow. Yeah, and I think people don't don't realize that. And yeah, we we train the same way that you know a lot of athletes train, and not necessarily you know the exact types of drills, but we do drills too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. all of this East Texas stuff, all this East Texas life with a little bit of Chicago mixed in. How did the University of Texas come into play for you? Well, we moved here, and um, I always tell people growing up, um, like not, I mean, just kind of in general, but um, people that know me know that I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. Um, And uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. oddly enough, yes, I know. Fun fact, I uh, was a huge Peyton Manning fan and um, fell in love when he uh, was playing at Tennessee. And I swore to people that I, I was going to go to Tennessee. Like, that was going to be my school. That was it. <laughs> that was the end of it. That was where I was going to go. And as I got older, I think I just kind of, the Texas roots, right? You, I, um, I remember going in middle school to um, a Texas football game. And I fell in love <laughs> with the school more so than I think I was in love with Peyton Manning. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go here. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go here. And um, I think I realized that at 13. And I never wavered from that. Like, I, my mom's like, do you want to apply to other schools? Do you want to, you know, apply to safety schools? This, that, and the third. So, I mean, I applied to other schools. But I, I think I always knew for me, Texas was a good fit. And that's where I was going to go. Wow. So even before high school, you knew you were going to go to University of Texas. Wow. That is impressive. Wow. <laughs> and I, I was thinking you were going to go with the angle of, well, you had you had Peyton Manning who went to Tennessee. You know, they wear bright orange. And I figured, eh, maybe not there. I'll go to a school that had burnt orange. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I just, yeah, I, I fell in love. I visited the campus, you know, like I said, went to like be a Longhorn Day a few different times. And um, yeah, I just, I kind of knew that it, it was a good fit for me and that I wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of that tradition at a, a school that had great programs and, and great people. And I think for me, the place was also a big draw because I think, you know, living in Texas, like it's, you know, it's a red state. And so you come from these small towns and as much as we'd like to believe that we live in these ter- times where people celebrate diversity and everyone is nice, like the, the reality of it is, is in East Texas, you still live, like, there are people that still live places where, you, you know, could, can technically consider them like sundown towns. You know what I mean? Like it, it, I mean, it happens. There are places where there are no black people living there. <laughs> There are no people of color living there. And so it, 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 it's a stark contrast to a lot of what the rest of the country may see. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, when you look at schools and demographics and some of the bigger schools in Texas, like a lot of people, it's either, you know, University of Texas or it's Texas A&M. And for me in this area, a lot of people go to Texas A&M. Right. And I visited there as well because my mom was like, I just want you to go visit other places. And it did not feel like a good fit. Nothing about that felt like me. Nothing about it felt like I would be at home there in College Station. And I think maybe that's changed in some ways. But I think for me, I always felt like Austin was very much my personality and, and very much a place where I would be at home. Okay, so you mentioned a city where University of Texas resides. So what is your impression of Austin? Well, I mean, that's the saying, right? Keep Austin weird. And it is a weird place. It's, it, it's a strange mix of things. You know, it's that, that democratic spot in a Republican state. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it's, it's that mix of things. I tell people it's a big city, but it does have a lot of those small town elements, right? Like it, it doesn't feel 
as big as it is. And there are things to do and things to see, but it still feels smaller. And I think that's kind of what you get with a lot of college towns, though it doesn't quite feel as big as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I just felt like it was a good fit for me. I felt like I grew a lot of lot as a person in those years. I graduated, I skipped a grade when we moved back to the state when my parents got out of the army. So I graduated high school at 17. And so I feel like I tell people like the years I spent in Austin, I, I feel like that really shaped who I am as a person. Like I feel like that's kind of when I did most of my growing up. <laughs> so you graduated from University of Texas when? That is, a, uh, I graduated in 08. <laughs> in 08. So you graduated in 2008 from UT. What, uh, what was your degree in? I have a degree in accounting. Math minor, um, started out as a science major, uh, biochem. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and then at some point changed my mind and decided, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I think um, I really still enjoyed lab work and I still enjoyed math, but I think that I kind of got burned out on a lot of things. And so I just kind of had to change uh, the speed of things. And then I had some, some personal issues at home with my mom's health and some other things. So I think I just kind of needed to do what was best for my family at that point. So mm, Understandable. <laughs> How has your accounting degree benefited you? Oh. <laughs> it allows me to make money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it allows me to stay employed. Um, no, um, I think that it is one of those things where it, it, it has taught me to kind of be versatile, but also be able to think quickly on my feet. And I also think that it's also kept me very, very sharp because, like I said, it, it, if you minor in math, you kind of have to love it, but it's, it's a lot of that is theoretical math and some things that don't really come up in everyday life. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think it's just kind of taught me to, to stay sharp, stay focused, stay alert about things because, I mean, you can't be messing up people's money. <laughs> Oh no! Um, <laughs> they, they tend to frown. They tend to frown upon that because you're putting commas and decimals in the wrong place and stuff, putting stuff where it doesn't belong. So I mean, but I think it also, like I said, I think that what I normally tell people about college is that it's very rarely about um, your abilities to, I guess, perform things specifically, and more about your critical thinking skills and the way that you are able to apply um, learned things. And that goes into my appreciation of you as the person you are. I noticed that you have similar type of knowledge of other subject matter, too. And that impresses me about you. I can just toss subjects at you and and you're good with it. And that brings me to your co-hosting duties on Chopping It Up With You. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> How on earth did you become, as you always like to say, the critical dump intern. Um, well, I guess it's not it's not a horribly interesting story, but um, I think what it is is that I started listening to podcasts um, a few years ago, and this was I think before most of what we consider the pod squad or pod squad affiliates or whatever you like to call them. People podcasts that I listen to will go with that. Um, <laughs> before um, a lot of them had started podcasting, so I was really only listening to some of the, the bigger podcasts. And I think at that point the read was still relatively new. I was still listening to the brilliant idiots and a few others. Um, and slowly but surely on SoundCloud, it just kind of started linking, you know, it would suggest other things for you to listen to. And I think maybe for the first three or four months, I wasn't listening to a whole lot. But slowly but surely, SoundCloud would suggest something that would lead me to something else that would lead me to something else. And I would always tweet out what I was listening to. And I'd always, you know, if they had Twitter, I would always interact with people. And I'd just be like, this is dope. And I think a lot of it is what I noticed is that when we're talking in terms of podcasts, a lot of the bigger ones were, are not people of color, right? And I mean, that's changing. Mm-hmm. Um but I think 
for our group, a lot of, you know, every, you know, most of everyone is a person of color. And I, I just thought that it was dope that there were so many different voices and so many different opinions and everything in space for all of these things to, to exist. And I could enjoy them all equally. And I could go, you know, on a different day of the week and, and hear something different and fresh and unique and creative. And I just thought that was really, really cool. So I just kind of started tweeting people and just retweeting and just, you know, saying, hey, you guys should check this out. You should listen to it. Tell anybody that I knew. And so I think that's kind of how it became like the pod pod squad head cheerleader, I guess if you want to call it that, because I was just a fan of the amazing content that these that this group of people that were putting out, and they still are. Um, so that's why I was joke. Like, I don't know if there's so much of a co-host as I am like an intern, because this is also very new, but it's amazing. Um and I kind of met Q through just kind of having those those interactions on Twitter. And I think randomly, um, Q asked me to be on um, a show of his. He asked me to be on a panel of his um, where we were talking about relationships. Um, and that was a lot of fun, um, <laughs> oddly enough. And then um, after that... Um, I think shout out to Crystal of Crystal, the Crystal Clear podcast. Um, she had Q and I on, and we talked about um, marriage and cheating. Um, and then I think I was on Gabby and KP and Joy's podcast talking out where I also spoke about marriage. So I think if anybody knows me, I think there's <laughs> it's a lot less obvious now. But um, I think when I first started kind of listening to podcasts and, and talking to everybody, I was kind of coming out of a rough patch. Um, I was recently divorced. Um, and so I think I was just kind of still in an in odd space, but I think it kind of gave me an outlet, if that makes sense. Like being able to listen to other people with varying experiences, but not necessarily think about the things that were going on with me, um, I think was very good for me. And I think kind of being able to do a couple of um, podcasts with Q kind of gave me the courage to be like, this is something that I, I could do. And so he, had, you know, and he was like, and everybody kept saying, well, you should just start a podcast. And I was like, I don't know that I could do a solo podcast. He would ask these interesting questions or whatever. Um, and he'd have like these weird takes on things. And obviously he's just a giant troll, but I love him, but he's a troll. <laughs> <laughs> giant troll. He does it on purpose. But I think we would just kind of have these conversations on Twitter and we'd get everybody involved. And even though I wasn't podcasting, I, you know, I'd still kind of get, you know, I'd get, you know, tagged in these conversations. And it just kind of grew from, it just kind of went from there. So, I mean, people have like these, you know, hashtag we met on Twitter stories. So I think Q and I are if we met on Twitter stories of the, you know, non-sexual kind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> of the platonic sort. But, yeah, it's, yeah, it was, it, that's definitely how it, it came to be. Um, he asked, like I said, he asked me to do a, a guest spot on, a, he had a panel, and he asked me to be a part of his panel on relationships, and I did a couple of other people's um, podcasts. Like I said, I did Talk It Out with Gabby and KT, and I did uh, Crystal's show, uh, shout out to Crystal Career and to uh, Talk It Out Pod. Um, those ladies are phenomenal, so if you haven't heard their shows, you should definitely check those out. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they had me on, and I just, I thought that this is really cool, and I was just kind of talking to you about it, and I was like, I, you know, people could say, you should start your own podcast, and I was like, that would be cool if I, you know, felt like I could do a solo podcast, but I didn't feel ready for that. I just kind of felt like this is new to me. I don't know what I'd talk about yet, and she was like, and so he brought the idea to me. He was like, well, why don't you come on my show whenever you feel like it, co-host with me. He was like, I, you know, my, my current co-host, which is Kayla, the other part of our trio, she's in school and, and working and stuff, and sometimes she couldn't be there. Um, so I just kind of stepped in to, kind of, to assist when Kayla wasn't there, and it stuck. <laughs> Apparently, Q thinks I'm okay, and he likes me well enough to be like, hey, keep coming back. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Well, I would I, say he does. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's a good thing. I just like I tell people like that. That's our little bro, and it, it's just kind of grown to this, 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 just kind of big ball of love as far as he's concerned. And um, yeah, he's been really dope and and really helpful through all of this, and just honestly a blessing. Like I think at this point, I don't even think <laughs> I can remember what it's like to not know him. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it 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 does, and I'll get back to Q in a sec. It, it it does make sense. It does make sense. And actually, it endears me to hear hear this on your end because it's similar on his end. So explain to me your rapport with your other co-host, Kayla. Well, Kayla, um, interestingly enough, um, I just consider her family, too. I mean, and it's not necessarily the same relationship that I have with Q, but I am of the mindset that you, you can always tell good people, right? My grandma was one of those people, but you, you know good people. And I just, I've always just felt like you and Kayla are good people. Like, that's just what it is. They are good people. And that resonates. That is an R that they have. And from that, like I said, Kayla's in school. Kayla is working. And Kayla is just, I mean, and she's she's a bit younger than um, Q and I. But um, she has this this view of the world and things. And she, she's a smart girl. She's, she's woke. <laughs> She's, she's, yeah, and I, I think that, at, and I and I look back at what I was probably like at her age, and it's just amazing the the person and the woman that she is because I don't think that I was half that hmm. <laughs> at her age. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten a chance to understand her story a little bit, and yeah, I could definitely say when I was her age, I wasn't nowhere near that either. So it's not just you; <laughs> it's not just you. She amazes me every day, and I think that's that's a great thing that you can just be in awe and amazed by the people that you have around you. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I yeah I totally get that with Kayla. I, I fully get that, and it's good to hear you say that she's as as they would say in the hood, good peoples. Yeah, no question. <laughs> <laughs> and I said this with Q. I'll say this now with you. The first time I heard the two of you, and I said this early on the show, was your appearance on Why Not Sports with D. Murph and Big Roy. And I was listening to how the two of you interacted with one another just as much as how each of you individually was interacting with with D. Murph and Big Roy. And I just got this vibe with with you two. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. (laughs) Hmm. I, I didn't know this team was together. Okay, well, I want to see. I want to see more of this. This uh, VJ, this always vibrant V, and and the other, <laughs> and the other <laughs> handles that she has working alongside this guy who calls himself Q the Great. How how is this? <laughs> and so then I think I listened to the very first episode, not the very first episode of Chopping Up with Q, but my very first episode that I downloaded of Chopping Up with Q. I think it was the panel you mentioned earlier. The uh, him versus her, <laughs> and and I'm hearing hearing these these five people: Q, Autumn of We Got the Jazz, Miss Neek of Good Morning Beautiful, Jay of Just Say Words in the Man Podcast, and here's this this voice that I haven't heard before mention <laughs> advice that her father passed along to her that was similar to a line that Terrence Howard said in The Best Man, and when I heard that. I said, okay, this is going to be an interesting person. I got to hear more of this from her and how she thinks and how she moves. And, and, and when I got the chance to hear you, I said, well, she's really interesting. And then when I got a chance to hear how you were with Q, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is a pairing that really could go places. And it makes, and, and you two remind me so much of Michael Smith and Jamel Hill of first numbers never lie, then of his at hers and now of ESPN six. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I said, okay, these two have a similar type of chemistry where these guys are like brother and sister. You can see it. And I'm just amazed at their chemistry. I was totally blown away that you guys didn't really know of one another until after the calendar turned 2017. I was thinking, oh, I thought these guys knew each other for years. Like, wow. So that's the thing about it. Like, yeah, it's just, it's wild. Like, right. It's just, and I I always tell people, like, I think with with Q and I just like, it it was like, it, it was that instantaneous spark, but in that platonic way, like it just, it all just kind of fell together. And I tell you, like, we just, we are very similar in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) we just kind of balance each other out in the ways that we aren't. And it it, it just, yeah, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason it works. I'm not sure why. (laughs) I, I'm not sure exactly what it what it is that makes it work, but for whatever reason, it, it works for us. <laughs> I think with Q and I, like it's very organic, and people I think do show prep right. And I think for us, we're more of the hey, how are you? Like we we tweet each other, like we DM each other back and forth, we text back and forth most of the day. Or like he'll have a random thought and have like some strange off the wall hypothetical question, and he'll just like call me out of the blue and be like, hey, so what do you think about? this and if this happens and then we'll talk about it for a bit and we may put it on the show we may not but I think it just kind of gets the juices flowing so I mean sometimes we just you know get on there and we you know just kind of wing it and <laughs> talk about whatever comes to our minds and I think that's the really really good thing about it that it it's just kind of become this organic thing with us it warms my heart to hear that you two have a good kinship with one another too that that you two regard each other as family and good peoples. And yeah, I got nothing good things to say about Q for sure. And the insane part about it is people always, we always joke with people and I think they weren't really aware of this. And so we did the show with D Murph and Big Roy. We, I was in Dallas for Q's birthday and that was the first time we'd ever recorded in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> like I hadn't it, met Q until that point. So <laughs> I really do think that you two have something that if you all were to actually push forth the show, I think the two of you actually would do it. And do a bang-up job at it. Well, if it ever happens, just try not to say anything horrible about me. And if anybody asks you about any of the horrible things that I've said on air, just pretend like you didn't hear them. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, no, I'll, I'll just I'll just laugh about uh, the few things that I have heard from ice picks to, <laughs> to, to beating sick people up and all points in between. I will keep that within myself. <laughs> Listen, I just, I'm out here trying to live my best life. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes that involves ice picks and threatening to beat sick people <laughs> and extortion and bomb making and <laughs> oh terrorizing your college neighbors. And, oh you know, gosh. really, whatever. Yeah, I'm short. I'm like five. So I always tell people, like, I think I just have a serious case of Napoleon complex. I'm very bloodthirsty. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, yeah I, I tell every short person, and that includes my mother and grandmother. My grandmother's like five feet. My mother's like five three. And I told them both they had Napoleonic complexes. I was like, yeah, yeah I, I fear not you. Um, I fear you guys. If I see anything sharp around you guys, I have to keep a distance. <laughs> it's a good idea I, I feel like that's probably a good advice to give people and I was like yeah it, 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 I think that's fair I just I mean and it's not like I'm like horribly violent for people because most people say I'm really really nice but I always tell people that you know you just don't want to make me mad it's all <laughs> so upset and then we're good that's fine but I feel like I was probably if, if you believe in past lives I feel like I was probably like a fixer or like an enforcer for the mob in a past life like that job would be right in my alley note to self <laughs> BJ is probably a Sybil. Okay. 
my. Probably so. Yeah. It just um. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I um. Yeah. So that's the running joke. Like, it, yeah. At, at my at my job, we'll be like, oh, you know, because we'll be calculating like deposits or whatever. They're like, oh, that deposit's kind of low. And I was like, well, I was expecting a check from such and such, and they come today. I was like, I guess I'll go break their kneecaps and see where my money is. And it was oh, a running God. joke. Like, I'm not gonna actually break anyone's kneecaps. <laughs> not to, maybe. I depends on what day you catch me on. But nobody's kneecaps have been broken of late, so it's good, right? I, I think I'm in a very zen place, and I'm out here living my best life. Like I said, it's just sometimes it involves life pitch. And this portion of Revelations is brought to you by Carlito's Wedding. <laughs> oh, goodness. Probably so. Lord. Oh, my God. That is funny. Um, yeah, I sound like I'm crazy. So, yeah, there's that. That's why I can't get a date right there. Look at that. Oh, my. Yeah, okay. Yeah, how Yeah. How was an intelligent-sounding black woman not able to get dates? Yeah, I guess if you can talk about taking out kneecaps, that'd probably be a good clue. But no, I'm just joking. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> listen, I, I know my I know my limitations in life. But it, it, listen, it, it, it's just one of those things. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're you're hilarious. You are hilarious. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about you though is outside of your intelligence and your diversity in whatever topics uh are out there in the world is your openness. And in one of the episodes, I cannot remember which one of Chopping It Up With You, you talked about your divorce. So without getting into really big time, too personal of detail, how long were you married? And when you divorced, what was the biggest lesson you learned from it? Uh, Well, um, I dated the same person for six years before we got married. Uh, We were married for about a year and a half after that. So essentially, I was almost with the same person for a decade. So... (laughs) Uh, this is this is coming on the you know coming out of that on the other side and then being you know freshly off of thirty it's it's been trying it's been different <laughs> um, I will say that for it uh, dating is is something serious I said yeah people always joke and say they feel bad for the people that are out here trying to, to date and yeah it, it's rough <laughs> but um, I think the biggest le- the lesson that I took away from that whole situation is that I think with a lot of people and. Uh, especially with, like, black people, I think, and um, with uh, kind of, like, people that have religious families, because my family is very religious, um, I think that there's a stigma on divorce and not trying to work out your differences and make your relationship work because you're married and you said these vows in front of everybody and God and you should try to, you know, keep those vows. And when things get bad, you should just, you know, work through the bad thing. And for a very long time, I think I, I grappled with, with that internally, about was I doing the right thing for me? Was I being selfish? Was this worth saving? Am I am I trying to save my marriage for me? Am I trying to save it because of what other people think about me or are going to say about me? And I mean, ultimately, we did get a divorce. But I, I think that the biggest takeaway from that is that you that I learned from that experience is that you can't base your happiness on other people, and that includes the person that you're married to. Um, you have to be happy with yourself in order for that person to be happy with you or, or experience that happiness. And I think that we oftentimes feel like a, another person should complete us. And I don't think anybody should complete you. They should make you better. They should make you want to be better, do better. <laughs> I don't think they should, should complete you. I don't think you should have like this emptiness that they have to fill for you. Um, and I think the other takeaway from that is that 
sometimes people change. Um, and I think that is the hardest thing for people to realize in a marriage. You People often say, you know, you're not the same person that I married. The only thing constant in our lives is change. People change and grow every day. And unfortunately, with marriages, if you don't pay attention, if you don't work on your marriage, if you don't try to work on those things every day, then you look up and that is a different person. And it's very hard to rectify that much space if you let it grow between you. It's very hard to be married to somebody and have to sleep in the same bed with them and share finances and your life with them when you don't recognize them anymore. And I think that's the place that we got to. And that's very hard to come back from. But <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. And being a prodigal divorce myself, yeah, it is a hard place to come back from. It is very difficult, extremely difficult when you look at a person and you mentioned something really, really key that the only thing that's constant in life is change, which is true. Even when we don't want to change, that is still constant. And it happens whether we want it to or not. <laughs> yeah. And you know, with my ex-wife, that's exactly what happened too. And I didn't recognize her. I really didn't. And it was painful when I couldn't. And it was hard for me to reconcile with, with that. It's like, oh, you are not the same person I courted. It just is the, the correlation just isn't there between the woman I saw then and the woman I'm seeing now. It just I, helped me out here. And it took me many years for me to really get a grasp of that. And and now I'm healed and remarried and with a far better woman. And that's nothing to there's no slight against the ex-wife. And sometimes and I've learned this myself, there are some who just really weren't good people, period. I'll cop to that. Not I'll cop to that to her. There's there's just some who aren't good people. But then there are others who just are simply not good for you. They're good people. They're just not good for you. And and I think that's another thing. Sometimes we are afraid to. I mean, there there are those people that they get married and think that it's what they want to do. And they think that this is the person for them because it fits right now or it Mm -hmm. seems like it fits. And it doesn't always fit long term. Not everyone is, is, is meant to be in your life forever. Sometimes people are in your life for a season, right? And it, 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 and that includes sometimes us making relationship decisions that necessarily aren't beneficial for us long term. And people do that. They get married and then it occurs to them after the fact that this is not supposed this was not supposed to be a person they married. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes they are great people and you want to make it work. And it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. Like you want it to work. There's nothing wrong with square pegs. You're just not a vessel for square pegs. Like you're a round hole. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is. That's just sometimes the case. Like you, <laughs> you're a triangle and they're a square and <laughs> you're, you're really great triangles and squares, but you, you got to go find <laughs> correct shape for you. And, and they're not it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's just true. Uh, true words were not spoken. I, I mean, even some other stuff, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I figured if you want to go into it, fine. If not, I totally get it. Because I could say the same thing of my, my ex. But, yeah. you know. Like, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he, he, well, yeah, he, he likes women. He liked women that weren't his wife. And. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. I wasn't. I wasn't pleased about it. So. And nor should you should have been. Should you be now? Should you ever be? Because trust me, when you have a, a woman who likes other men and that person isn't me, and you're married to me, I don't like it either. So 
<laughs> no one likes it. I don't know. And, it, and it's crazy to me how people are like, oh, well, even if you cheated, it doesn't matter. And we're going to stay together. And that's fine. Cheating doesn't have to be a deal breaker for you. But you're going to have to try to, we're going to have to do, have to do something. And you can't, I, I think I just, a lot of times people don't want to take responsibility for the things that they did wrong. And if you're not responsible, you can't take responsibility for your parts of what went wrong, then there's nothing here to fix. You don't want to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that's the first step. Realize, okay, I did something wrong. <laughs> I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, yeah, I disappointed my wife in cheating and I got to face her with that. And whatever comes with that, I have to deal with that too. But I got to face the fact that I did wrong and brokered a trust with this wonderful person who I said that I was going to be with till death do us part. And here I am. I'm performing a death act <laughs> to make sure that I <laughs> make us part and we're both still alive. Yeah. It, you just have to own up to that. You do. And if you're, if you're, if your husband in your case, wife in my case doesn't want to own up to that, it's really difficult to get past that and to grow beyond that and say, yeah, this story was one of the times where, you know, my, you know, my wife stepped up on me. We talked about it. We handled it. We moved past it. And we actually are stronger for it. I would love to say I had that story. I don't. And mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it was in large part to the fact that, well, she didn't want to own up to that herself. And I, I fully understand that, you know. And yeah, I struggled for many years and and shrugging off being bitter. Oh, man. Yeah. Struck for many, many years. Tried to not be bitter. And now I'm not. Yeah, it is. I think you get past it, but it's it's hard, right? It, it's hard when you're coming out of that, and then you have these things that trigger you or, or make you feel like everyone is, is horrible and and will disappoint you. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I think yeah, and I think for a very long time, like I think uh, Q used to joke around and call me Hurt Bay, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think in retrospect it did kind of come off as me talking about it in a way where I did sound like I was still very hurt by it, and I don't think it was necessarily because I wasn't over it i think it was just because i felt like it was it was a serious betrayal and i think that in a lot of ways when you're with somebody for that long when you're not together even regardless of the circumstances it feels like they're mourning a, a death and um <laughs> sometimes you just you kind of have to talk it out you, you go through those stages of grief where sometimes you're sad sometimes you're you're happy and you're okay with things sometimes you're angry and i mean it, everyone grieves differently and i think for me it was just kind of being open and honest about my where mm-hmm. I wasn't able to do that when I when I was married. I don't think that I had the, the freedom in the in the space in my marriage to be open with that person about my feelings. And so being able to do that, you know, however publicly it may have been, I think was very cathartic for me. Yeah, yeah, and and it it really was well. Just from this standpoint, it really sounded as if it was a wound that healed up, but something peeled the scab off, and the wound now needs to heal again and sometimes you go through that Ooh, i went through that for many many years <laughs> many yeah, years you think, where you, think, you thought, think you're over it and you're done mm-hmm. and it's good and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah then something or someone either says something or does something and it's back to the pain and eating cookies, eating cookies in your shower man <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's right. Yeah, it's back to that. It, it's back to, I hate her. And I think that you, another woman who has nothing to do with my marriage, will do the same thing to me because you simply are a woman. You simply have breasts, you have a vagina, and you're going to hurt me too, just like my wife did. Yeah, that same energy. I had that for many years. <laughs> many, many, many. I think, many. I, I think I 
have been very good about just kind of trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and 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 trying not to like bolt at the sign of every red flag. And I think that's that's taken a lot of growth in mm-hmm. in me as a person to just kind of be like, you know, what people are not all out to hurt you or disappoint you. They're not all the same person. And granted, I, I think, but in doing that, I've also learned to kind of trust myself more and trust my intuition more because I think that if I had trusted my gut a bit more about things, things would be different. That some things would be very different. And so I think that I've just learned that I can trust my own instincts. I'm a smart girl. I can, <laughs> my intuition is, is very, very wrong. And I think sometimes with relationships, I second guess that. And that was the issue that I was having. So I think that now I'm in a place where I am more in tune with what I want as a person. And I'm able to kind of hone my intuition to where if something feels off, I can just be like, okay, I want out of this because it feels off. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's very much so okay. Very much so. And it's necessary. You you don't deserve, right, you don't deserve to be in a crappy situation or relationship simply because you're lonely. Now, I'll cop to this. There have been many nights where I was single and was alone and was like, man, it would be great to have a woman. I mean, yeah, I've had many of those nights, you know, but it is that growth where you realize well, okay, I'm doing I'm doing me for a reason and I'm licking these wounds for a reason. And you said something earlier that I really loved. You shouldn't have to be with a mate or a partner to be one to fill the rest of you up. You should be whole and complete. You should have your own life. You should be your own entity to be merged with another entity that actually agrees with you. I mean, it, you have to have that. Otherwise, you will have a totally, fully dysfunctional relationship from the jump. And none of us deserve that. Oh, my. I could continue to talk with you and I could talk for, talk off your ear for even more than I already have. But <laughs> ah, I know you have somewhere else to go, so I will make this short. And I have these questions to ask you. Now, in your life, what has been, and you could choose either one, your biggest regret or your greatest lesson learned in your life? Um, I try. I don't feel like I regret anything that has happened thus far. I think that I have always felt like everything is just kind of a, lear- a learning moment, right? I think that just thing, whatever happens to you happens for a distinct reason. So I don't regret things that have happened. Um, but I do think the biggest lesson thus far has been that nobody owes you anything. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that is a hard one. And I know for me, like I'm an only child. My parents, you know, have it tried very hard to to give me the world not to the point of being like rotten growth spoiled but they you know they indulged me a bit and I think that you come out of that sometimes expecting that people owe you things just because um but I also feel like that kind of rolls over into every situation like nobody owes you anything they don't owe you an explanation for the things that they do they don't owe you you know, a, a reason. They don't owe you a, a job or <laughs> the life that you want. These are things that you have to make happen for, for you. Nobody's going to do these things for you. Nobody's going to, nobody owes you these things. Um, and I think that's just kind of been the biggest lesson. Like you just, you have to go out there and get it. Like it's there for you if you want it, but you're going to have to work hard and get it because nobody owes you anything. Mm, that's a powerful lesson to learn. Yeah. And you're right. If you want it, you got to go get it. No question about that. Now, flipping the corn on the other side, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? Wow. (laughs) 
That is a tough question. My greatest accomplishment, this is going to be, um, I would say that my greatest accomplishment up to this point, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I think for me, it probably was getting out of my marriage. And that sounds really, really crazy, but here's why. Um, my husband, on top of a lot of other things, got to the point where he was abusive and I was afraid to leave. I was afraid to tell anybody. I was afraid of what could happen to me. And so I think for me, being able to put myself back together after being in feeling so broken, like that nobody else would want me, that there was no way I could ever be without this person, that there was no way I was ever going to escape this person. And to be at a place now where I'm happy and I'm, I'm healthy and I am an independent person and I feel like myself again for the first time in a very long time. I feel like that that up to now has been the greatest the greatest accomplishment that I've had. Like I don't think I'd ever been in that dark of a place and that dismal of a place at any point in my life. And to be able to come out of that on the other side relatively unscathed <laughs> um but still feeling good about people and about life and still being able to see beauty in things, I think is is just I've been very, very blessed in that respect. Yeah, I, I I will have to say for you, the greatest weapon that I think you have utilized in in getting past or even getting beyond the darkness of abuse is laughter and humor. And you seem to use that a lot and you seem to be open to receiving that a lot. And that's a great sign. That's a great sign of of healing. And yeah, it's 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 wonderful and to not go all Shanice Wilson of I love your smile. <laughs> it's it's a great weapon uh, to combat darkness. Light is the way to go. So totally, I totally respect that as a great accomplishment, if not the greatest for you. And I will I will say that you will have something that will even top that one. I hope so. That, I mean, that's pretty. That that's been nice, but you know, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that the trajectory the trajectory is still up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think so. I really do. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the time of the show where, and this might be dangerous for me considering the person on the other end. Uh, if you have any words of wisdom or if there are any pot shots you want to take, like if you want to down A&M or OU or, <laughs> or go after anybody in your social media shenanigans or whatever have you, <laughs> whatever you want to do, Right now, I cede the floor to you. The floor is yours. I am going to talk a bit about uh, something that is near and dear to my heart, um, and I think it is for a lot of people. Um, there are a lot of children that are going back to school, and they don't have school supplies. They don't have, you know, school clothes, backpacks, shoes, all the necessities, the things that children should have to go back to school. Um if you have not donated anywhere, if you have not given anything to a backpack drive or a shoe drive or anything like that, if you can donate anything, I don't care if it's a pack of pencils, just do so. I think a lot of times, especially with um, schools that are in, you know, predominant neighborhoods that are people of color, the schools are not up to snuff with the other ones that are where white people go, white children go to school. A lot of times they don't have the same supplies or the same budget. And so any little bit that we can give or help or do, it, it helps wonders. And as much as children are very smart and very resilient, they can be very, very cruel to each other. And sometimes 
just having, you know, something new that is yours that you can go to school with where you may not have ever had those things before means a lot to a child that, that hasn't had anything like that. Um, and it can do wonders for their self-esteem and the way that they have an outlook on the start of the school year and the school year going forward. And I think we all know or can think of somebody maybe that we went to school with that their clothes were ripped or dirty or they never had nice things or, or backpack. And I mean, it's unfortunate. I grant. I mean, granted, we we live in a time where you know maybe their parents can't afford to get them th- get them those things on whatever salary that they have, or if they have a job at all. So the takeaway here is that it, please, anything that you can do helps. Um, any little bit that you can give, um, even if you don't have children, you know children. Um, and I get it. We all have kids that are going back to school and and things that we have to buy. But any little bit that you can do um, or willing to give definitely helps. I'm sure that it's it's different in everyone's city or town. But if you're listening to this and you and you can do something um, or give something, please do. Um, that means the world to these children. And education is important. And not feeling like school is a good place to be because people make fun of you is is never a good feeling. And I think we've all felt that before. So like I said, anything you can do, please give, um, please help out. Um, if you know of any organizations that are doing anything like that and you want to tweet me, I, um, if you're running any book drives or anything like that, if you want to tweet them at me, it's at BJ underscore Burton. I'm happy to retweet them um, and let everyone I know and spread the word because I, I think that that's definitely a good cause. Children are important. That's our future. We need to invest in it and we need to do a better job of, of taking care of them. And I think a lot of times people don't advocate for children. They don't advocate for the things that they need. Um, and those things go as is overlooked. So let's do a better job about taking care of our little people, even if they aren't necessarily ours. Wow. That probably is the most floor, the most powerful floor seating I think I've ever done on this uh, on this show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's really touching. That really is. Wow. Yeah. Well, well I mean, ladies, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's fine. That's fine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the person who has called herself Comey, don't play that. Petty Ruffs, uh, Petty, <laughs> Petty Ruxman. Among other things, always vibrant V, VJ underscore Burton, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast cheerleader and the one third host of Chopping Up with Q, Vermeek Burton, aka VJ. <laughs> it is a pleasure to have you. I would love to have you back again. And thank you for the time you spent with me here. Thank you for having me. This has been dope. I feel like I just kind of had coffee with an old friend and that's always a a good feeling. So thank you so much for allowing me to just come and ramble about whatever, because I guess I have a lot of word vomit. See, let me let that out. No, sorry. That was so dope. So thanks. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) High five. I will definitely go into the bent of what VJ said at the the floor is yours segment of Revelations. It's been really a rough week for my hometown of Houston and my heart, my spirit and my soul belongs there right now. My mind is there as well and pray for all who have suffered damages and loss that you find the light at the end of the tunnel. And for those who can help, please do donate to those folks because they need you right now. They need to have the cheerful spirit that all of us always need to have, but definitely need in times like these. The word says all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. At this time, more than any other, we all need to have continual feasts. Being cheerful is the way, even when times are rough. 
So to those in Houston, my heart goes out to you. God bless you. And I hope that you make it out sooner rather than later. Many thanks to VJ for her revelation. It was eye opening to say the least. And it was a pleasure to get to know a person who is really enlightened and very broad in understanding. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I am Cole Johnson and this has been Revelations. For more of Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O.